0: Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, episode number 136. I'm Andrea Samadhi, a former educator who's been fascinated with understanding the science behind high performance strategies in school sports and the workplace for the past 20 years. If you've been listening to our podcast, you'll know that we've uncovered that if we want to improve our social and emotional skills and experience success in our work and personal lives, it all begins with an understanding of our brain. My goal with this podcast is to bring the most current neuroscience research to you and make it applicable in your life, whether you're a teacher in the classroom or using these ideas to improve productivity and results in your workplace. As I'm researching and learning new ideas, I'm also implementing them myself and making connections to past speakers so that we can all benefit from the research that's emerging in this new field of educational neuroscience. Today's episode features Lois Letchford. She's the author of the book, Reversed, a memoir that tells the story of her son who failed first grade in 1994. His prognosis was dire. Testing revealed he could read 10 words, had no strengths and had a low IQ. The first few chapters of her book are painful for a parent to read and even worse, if you're a teacher or a coach, knowing how important your role is for shaping the lives of the students who come before you. Her book sets the stage for just how chilling and impactful their story is. I'll read it slowly because there's lots to think about here. Sometimes it's the people no one imagines anything of who do things that no one can imagine. I have to spoil the story and tell you that there is a happy ending with Lois's son defying the odds he was given at an early age and graduating with his PhD in 2018 from Oxford University. I can just see this story as a movie, especially when I saw the book trailer on YouTube with a beautiful and prestigious university in the background, where scholars go to earn their degrees, where one young man would work harder than most to achieve what many only dream of. This story is of dreams becoming reality, where a mother used the principles she learned from Dr. Imordino Yang to help her son to achieve his dreams. This is our third case study on the podcast, with our first with Bridget Rudin and her story of overcoming a severe traumatic brain injury, and then with Barbara Aerosmith-Young and her story of changing her brain and leaving her learning disability behind. Both of these stories moved me to such an extent that I realized the importance of featuring examples of people who've used the strategies that we're suggesting on this podcast with their outstanding results. Which brings us to the fascinating story of Lois Letchford. She had the opportunity to homeschool her son for six short months. And during this time, she applied some of the principles that she learned from Dr. Imordino Yang. It turned her son's life around and hers too. So a bit about Lois's background. She specializes in teaching children who've struggled to learn to read employing age-appropriate rather than reading age-appropriate material. Her non-traditional background, multi-continental exposure, and passion for helping failing students have equipped her with a unique skill set and perspective. Originally a physical education teacher, like I was, she later completed a master's in literacy and reading from the State University of New York at Albany. Lois has presented her work at the California Reading Association, Michigan Summer Institute, and New York State Reading Association conferences. Let's meet Lois Letchford and hear her story with the hopes that it will inspire you to look at your students in a different light or your own child and see the unlimited potential that just might need some extra fanning and new ideas or strategies to ignite their excellence. Welcome Lois. Thank you so much for reaching out to me with your fascinating life story of teaching and learning that you tell so beautifully in your book, Reverse, that I see right behind you. Welcome. Thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me, Andrea. I'm delighted always to share my story and talk about literacy and learning
0: wonderful well just to set the stage for those who've not yet read your book when you got that phone call that day and you were waiting for the news that your son nicholas after all this work had passed his final test for his phd and he said you can write your book now I just wondered behind the scenes how did he feel about his story of struggle going out to the world do you think he realized how many people he was going to help and that's why he wanted to share his story of determination struggle and success you tell me
1: it's a struggle for him to share his story because he would rather be normal he would rather be quiet and not let not have had that struggle but you just get pushed into these situations uh, that, yes, we have to share it. We have to let others know that we can overcome. And I think that was behind his his words at the time because that day, you, you know, you expect these, these oral exams to go on for two to three hours, not five. Mm. And so it was enormous stress, enormous pressure. But, you know, he did it. He did it.
0: Yep, he sure did. Now, when I read your recollection of his life at school, because, you know, those who are listening are either educators or, you know, they've got a child, they're looking for new strategies or they're looking for these strategies for the workplace. So, you know, when I was Looking through the book in part one, and you were talking about how he sits alone every lunchtime. He has no friends, no communication with every, anyone. He was like an outcast. And, you know, it rips your heart out as a parent thinking that that's your child at school. But I couldn't help thinking back to my middle school days. There was a kid like this and he would sit. I remember him clearly sitting on this picnic table by himself. And we would all sit and conspire on ways. How are we going to get him to talk to us? How are we going to get him to feel more comfortable? He had a group of his classmates like conspiring and finding ways to make him feel included, but it didn't seem like Nicholas had this. So how did he keep his fire going through those difficult early years without those relationships to help his social and emotional development?
1: I believe it was incredibly hard and I think we were really on a knife edge and what's fascinating to me is no one told me as a parent no teacher said this is unacceptable Mm -hmm. it was just the child is dumb he can't do it and the acceptance of that I think still kills me today so how he kept going was just pure stoicism you know, this is all I have to do. And I, it, it kills me that I left him in that situation instead of fighting more for him and finding alternatives and seeing a child way beyond what, what seeing the child that he achieved mm-hmm. rather than what they saw at grade one. You know, I don't know how much to say right here and now, but I, I've started this series When Learning is Trauma And we talked to a man called Martin Bloomfield who describes his early learning as torture. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he says as he talks was, what are we modelling to other children when we leave, when we isolate and ostracise and condemn and shame children? What are we modelling to everyone else? And that stuck with me
0: right you know and i was because as as i'm reading i'm always looking at ways to make connections with with other podcasts with you know my children what can i use from your story to you know make sense of where things are and You know, the struggles to learn, you know, I had to put in a lot of extra work with my youngest and not even close to what you did. But, you know, the flashcards made sense to me. I had flashcards that we would take in the car. They were all over the house. And then I had my oldest daughter that didn't need any support or anything. She just scored 100 and on everything without trying. And so the youngest was always like, why does mommy have to sit with me before school, after school, weekends? And why does she have to do all this extra work with me? So she saw the difference. Um, and then when I saw your ship at sea analogy, it made sense to me. And I don't remember when I had my ship at sea moment, but it would be about a year ago. And I just decided I'm reading more books, uh, more extra work for her is not the answer. I don't know where it hit me, it was just, all this stuff that I'm learning on these podcasts, the strategies are not, do more of what's wor- of what's not working, right? So can you explain why reading more books, working harder, doing the same thing was not the answer with your ship at sea analogy?
1: The ship at sea analogy is, and it's like also in my mind, a ladder. We send children to school at age six, five or six. Why do we choose that time? Because we assume that every child has had the oral language, the oral language experience, uh, that they're talking at a certain level and they'll be ready, their brain is ready at this age to do this amount of work. Except your child's ladder and my child's ladder, there are no runs and they just see the top run and look up there and go, how do I get there? And all teachers and many people see is we have to do more of the same. Instead of saying, how do we fill these children with the runs that they need to get to reading at that level? Our Nicholas had ear infections from eight to 18 months, and that impacts oral language, oral language development, and oral language processing of oral language he doesn't do it and children will come with a range of issues that may or may not help them learn to read and take in the skills that we are teaching at age six or seven and we fail to fill up what do we need what else does this child need to get to where we're at that's why does that make sense it does, but let me just say that how do we know what, when
0: you've got one child that does it one way, how do we know this way isn't going to work for this one through a lot of trial and error, years of trying the alphabet, realizing, oh, she's forgotten O again, or, you know, counting by five. Why could she count by five yesterday and not today? What? How do we know
1: what rungs are missing? Well, they won't They won't get it, just like what you're saying. I did it yesterday and we did it the day before and I still haven't got it. Then why are we repeating it? We have to say, okay, we've done it. Everyone else has got it. So what are we going to do differently? What else do we have to do to give this child the background skills that they need to be successful? Instead, we just say they have to do more of the same, which... Which leaves our children sitting at the bottom of the ladder saying, how do I get up there? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And our children don't have the words to say, this doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Right, right they just so badly want to succeed, to get the grades, to oh. be like everybody else. So they do what you say. They say, all right, mommy's got flashcards, I'll sit with her and I'll do it diligently because I'm trying so hard, oh, God. right? As hard as they can that you see it in their eyes, the burning fire in their eyes that they want to do it. Like sister who does it so, so easily or everyone else who just wants to, be the same and fit in. So here I was crafting my questions for you, and it was at this point that the emotion hit in for me. And I just wear my emotions on my sleeve. It just, especially with children and teaching and learning and overcoming difficulties, it just seems to hit me like in the heart. And there's something so powerful about an educational institution where you can feel the learning. So you're talking about the fact now you're at Oxford and I was born in in England. So now Oxford <laughs> is just feeling even more special to me. And I've got it up on my screen and my kids walk in and they're like, oh, what are you, who you're interviewing someone from Harry Potter? Cause it looks like a scene out of, you know, England and there's all they know is Harry Potter with England. But, um, Anyway, the feeling of an educational institution, I I used to study at University of Toronto and I would go to this gym, it was called Hart House, and I could see all the pictures of the past athletes on the wall and it would just give me chills to look at them and think who were they? You know, they studied so many years ago, but then Oxford, it's got such history behind it. and. So I was even thinking of like Dead Poets Society when Robin Williams is going through and making the kids look at the pictures of the people on the wall and feel them, try to bring out that joy of learning. So what happened for you when you were reading Nicholas Maps and you said you're on the outskirts of Oxford University? Well, I felt it from the pages. A seed of learning for almost a thousand years What happened? What hit you?
1: And here we are teaching a child with supposedly low IQ, learning about people long forgotten by most. What happened? I was writing poetry for Nicholas and that was engaging and that was teaching him all sorts of things. And our learning went from we can't do this to... This is fun. And the double O words come up as in look, book, and cook. And I wrote a poem about Captain Cook. And the other point of this is if I took a book, any book, and read to Nicholas, I lost him. He would just turn away and that was the end of the lesson. So I had to take all of what I learned and put it into a poem. And then I had Nicholas. So I wrote a poem about Captain Cook and Captain Cook uh, had a notion there was a gap in the map in the great big ocean. We took a look without the help of any book, hoping to find a quiet little nook. And with that poem, we ended up at a museum looking at the world maps and we saw one of 1550 and I said to Nicholas, look, there's a gap in the map, there's no Australia. And that sent us on a search. Well, who came before Cook? What knowledge did Cook have when he left? And we started to see all these maps. And if you know Oxford, there are maps everywhere. And that's when Nicholas started to ask me questions I couldn't answer. And I knew they didn't come from a child with a low IQ. His first was, can I see Captain Cook's original maps? And that blew me away. Mm. I had never thought of something like that, let alone to come up with the language Captain Cook's original maps. And then he asked, who came before Captain Cook? And I said, well, that's easy. That was Christopher Columbus. He was the first one we know of. And Nicholas then said, and who came before Columbus? I had never even thought about. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the Oxford bit again, because we, we're living in Abingdon and we, Nicola says, can we see a Ptolemy map? Well, we'll go to Oxford and find out. You go to Oxford, we walk into the Bodleian Library, to the bookshop and say, where would we see a Ptolemy map? And this was true. The lady turns around from behind the counter, leans down, picks up a book, plops it on the desk and see. This is a, a new book now, out now, published in 1995. It's of Ptolemy's Maps. Wow. That'll be five pound, please. Wow. That's
0: incredible. What a story. So I've also noticed that the creativity of children like this is beyond what I can imagine. Like my daughter is the same. She makes... Forks and all these things. And I'm always saying, clean that up. And then I'm thinking, oh, I better let her do it. It's so difficult. Forget about the nice, tidy house. Let her be creative because here was the learning in the maps. And that's when it all came to life. Can't you even just see how his brain now could process things from these maps? It just brought it to life. So, you know, I've always been trying to make learning fun and it's just a whole part of you know you want learning to be lifelong for your children for your students this is why we become educators and then at one point in the book you said that nana said put the books away and make learning fun and you said but how do i do that so i wondered how was learning for you growing up you know i know that you mentioned some struggles Uh, that you had dyslexia. How did you find the joy in learning yourself?
1: You hit upon a point there, you know. Most of my elementary school life to me was a struggle and I grew up reading words I couldn't comprehend. So a book, reading a book to me, and I do remember reading some, was like wading through mud. Skilled readers create pictures like Rembrandt. They drool over it. In my mind when I read, I created a stick figure. And it took a lot of effort to create that stick figure. And no one ever read to me. No teacher in school ever read. My parents read a Bible story every night to us. And that was the really the extent of my... F- education with literacy except we had abc radio come on i can't remember if it's four o'clock or five o'clock and they had they would read books to us and they would tell us stories and my sister and i my younger sister and i were there every night at whatever time listening to that radio hour because that was my input to literacy and in third grade i think i'll never forget it our teacher pulled out a general trade book. Here's me sitting in the back of the club. And I thought, you don't read books in school. Wow. And that, you know, because you only had the readers, it was, it was a really, it's the life of a low socioeconomic child. Mm-hmm. You are given the worst instruction possible. So how did I survive? I survived and got out of it because my older sister, we're all two years apart, my older sister changed to high school to finish grade 11 and 12. We were in Australia at another school and I was in ninth grade and she said to my mother, Mum, Lois has got to come here now. And moving from my little high school to the big high school, another hour away, changed my life. And my mother was one of nine. The boys were educated, the girls weren't. And she said, my girls are going to be educated because we are on a farm. Mm. What skills do you have if you don't have education? Nothing. Right. And she had a fight to get me there because everyone's at girls grow up to get married why are you educating the girls this is 1960 1970 and she fought and said my girls are being educated and you know we were just so privileged to have that education and give us a life and give us choices
0: wow Because a a lot of times our experience with learning, we transfer it over to our children as well. So I just wondered at how you made shifts or connections for for Nicholas, you know, to to find the joy that, you know, when you finally made shifts for yourself to overcome your struggles, did did you see it more in, in him? I think I'm asking.
1: Yes. Well, you know, the other component of this is I married. Excuse me for saying this, I married well. My husband and I actually had very similar backgrounds. We both grew up in Australia. Our learning styles were entirely different. You know, I struggled. He flew. But we both grew up on farms, but he ended up being the top top student of the university, and he got his PhD from Oxford. So... I'm connecting with him and he has a love of learning that just flows and you get dragged along by the people you're with. Mm -hmm. And that helped enormously. And it also helped me with my reading and we would listen to things together and you talk about things together. And I'm not, I'm just realizing now maybe I'm not quite as dumb as I think I am. Mm -hmm. And you know, the Nicholas's learning component, it was just go with what he does and go with what he loves. And I didn't know that this boy had a brain that was equivalent to my husband's and my eldest son.
0: Right. Because we're not equipped to recognize these different talents and skills that show up in different ways it's it's not how it wasn't a part of my teacher training and here i am as a mom going let's write some more flashcards. let's print them off and put them in little baggies and label them and carry them with us not thinking there was another way and um, you know more drills more let's sit here and practice with those flashcards, the math facts and and i know that, that there's some some ways that you have to I, I hear it from researchers that say we've got to do the spaced repetition some things have to be rote, but how do we make rote learning fun there's you know if you could do the poetry um you know bring, bring that in and even some television shows I grew up watching I don't know what shows you had over in the UK but I grew up with this show Happy Days and Podsey was trying to memorize the bones of his body. And he did it with a song like the left bone was connected to this and, and so through song, um, that's another way to remember things just trying to find different strategies to make learning fun. Um, and I just wondered what what were some shifts that you saw in Nicholas you, so you saw it with the maps, you saw it with poetry, what what else ignited his
1: learning? that you can think of? Just being able to see things, experience, the experience of doing things really was huge. Mm -hmm. Laughter. If you're laughing about it, it's going into memory and you're learning much more than whatever you the original intention was. I mean, and that's a huge one yeah the words that stick with me are from briggs myers from her book skips differing you know and she says when children can't remember anything you know it's because it's um. Oh, now i'll lose the words you know it's disconnected it's unrelated it's meaningless and just becomes just just do it just do it mm. but what children what do children remember they remember what's related they remember what's connected and a and they remember with little effort if humor is involved. Mm-hmm. That is and, so true. Yeah. How can we make it
0: funny? Can you remember a time when you just laughed? Because like, I, I remember a time I was driving with my kids and I don't know, it was normally very serious. School is serious for me. I'm a serious person. Academics is serious. Um I don't know what happened, but they started saying that they wanted to watch the movie It and it was scary, the movie with the clown. And they're talking about the drain and I'm saying, I don't think you guys wanna watch this movie. And i don't remember what they said to me but it made me laugh and i thought i've never laughed like that with my children talking about school it was just you know coming home it was normally like how's this and i'm thinking how boring have i been with these kids until they ask me you know about this movie and and we're just cracking up i don't remember what it was i was just saying something about the clown, and and we were in tears laughing. And do you remember times like that with Nicholas where it just was like the, the creativity was flowing about something?
1: You, you ask about emotion and this person, Mary Helen Imodino Yang. Well, there's a, quite a story in that because, as you know, now Nicholas is now 33. So And he started school in 1994, so it's a long-term case study. Nicholas graduated, he married, and I went back to visit him and I thought now we can have a time of just talking and I wanted more videos of him talking. And I said to Nicholas, Nicholas, can you tell me what happened in first grade now? Here's me thinking, you know, not a bad question to ask now. He's Mm -hmm. been successful for so long. My son cried not a word emerged from his mouth. And that's when I recognised for the first time ever what happened to him 25 years ago is traumatic experience still stuck in his brain. Yeah. And then I shifted and said, well, let's not talk about that, but tell me about what happened in Oxford. What do you remember from that? And he said to me, you know, of course I remember the mapping. The mapping was, was just phenomenal. But, I remember you wrote a poem about a witch's spell and I wrote the ingredients. Here's my son. And he starts laughing. He said, I don't remember what they were, but I just remember it was so funny, all of these things that we wrote down. And he's giggling like that seven-year-old self. And again, you know, here's the learning going on. I think I'm teaching about let us spin, spot, spell, spit. <laughs> they just took a ride on a broomstick of laughter and engagement and writing the witch's spell ingredients that he remembers as being the most important thing of all of our learning from Oxford. Wow, All these years later. Yes,. Yeah. So you know, it's a lesson to me and what do we, what are we teaching? What do we think we're teaching and what are children learning? And it's not necessarily the same goals that we've written down in our planning book.
0: Yeah, it's true because we can write those linear goals in our planning book, the things we need to do, the the, checks, we've, the boxes we've got to check that they must have to pass first grade, second grade. I used to have chart paper on the walls of the things that she had to accomplish. And, you know, we would check them off as we got them. And there was it was just rote learning. It was, you know, hit hit the certain things. And then two weeks later, the things would be forgotten because they're not important. They didn't mean anything to her. And, you know, and then I bet you a million dollars that if I asked them what were we laughing about with the it story that they'll be able to recall it for sure that day, because I think it was the first time they had seen me laugh like that with them. You know, I can laugh at home with my husband when we're, we're talking, but with them, with their school, I, I, I didn't think that that it was I thought being serious, being. You know the one in charge of making sure that they get the grades, that they take this seriously. It, you know, I think I've said a, a, so many times, it's not a joke. Let's let's sit down and do our reading, our 20 minutes of reading. Who's not done their reading? And I'm thinking, goodness, I have a lot to learn from these interviews and from from Lois here today, because you know we we can we can really mess up and and miss the opportunity for in, in serious growth with our, with our children with our students with life
1: yeah build relationships take that book and turn it into a play mm-hmm. record it make the props you would make the props first if you want to do a video if you want to do an audio send it to grandma mm-hmm. you've right. got the practice you've got you've got the voice you've got the depth You've got more than just reading words, and you're going to repeat it because you don't want to send something with 100 mistakes. Rewrite it. So if they're making an error with one sentence, there'll be a reason why they're making that error. Rewrite that sentence into words that they know. It becomes a much more fun. It's a purposeful activity. Why are we doing this? Because Grandma wants to hear you read. And if the story is, uses humour,
0: all the better. Absolutely, and they're all these little um, YouTubers now. They they love making videos of themselves and yes. practicing. And in the beginning, I was thinking, Oh, no, I don't want what are you putting up on social media, I have to go go and look at at everything they're doing now more work, and I'd rather they just don't, but there's the creative side, I'd rather they don't um, build the forts and mess up the living room area, but you know, you got to let them do these things to to grow and it's a, a lot I'm seeing, you know, just how important it is to open up and allow them to do the things that that they're inclined to be doing that, you know, maybe I wasn't good at painting, but they want to paint and and show their creativity and learning in that in that way. Um, There was a term in one of your chapters that I had to Google and look up because I didn't know what it meant. I thought this must be a British term. That, but I'd never heard my mom use it. But how did, what were some of the secrets that got you out of this quagmire? And it, it was like a jam or a pickle, another way of saying a jam or a pickle. How can parents or teachers listening implement some of these ideas? Like you've mentioned a whole bunch of them, but, but could we just review, what do you think are some ways to make
1: learning fun for our struggling learners? Enjoy it yourself. If you don't want to read the book, why would they? Turn, as I said, turn books into plays because it makes them real. It connects the oral language with the written language. And instead of just reading a story and it could be anything, you're not just reading a sentence because you're asking, how would you say that? Would you say, did you have a nice day? No, you wouldn't say that. Did you have a nice day? Or how are you going to say it? And so you're giving meaning to every word that's on the page. And then using, like you said, using social media and using technology to record it and send it to family and friends Mm -hmm. and have them listen to it, it is just such a huge boost. And the more we can incorporate world learning, like taking kids to museums and seeing things and providing experiences that are beyond answering the question on the page, to me, is just critical. Because you don't just learn the data or whatever. You learn so much more. And you, the learning becomes all-encompassing. You know, and you start to see it from a different point of view. And those are the things that I think are far more important, particularly in the early years. I want a broad, broad language base and a broad experience base. Then you can start doing things. Another thing to do is do a timeline, a timeline of history, because children start to learn how much has been, how much change has occurred in the last... Well, 20 years even, but even 50 years and 100 years. And then you go back to BC and there's a lot of blank spaces in there (laughs) and there's a lot of paper that you need to take, you know, with one sheet of paper for 100 years. And it becomes an engaging activity where you're getting children to think about far more than just answering the question and fill in the blanks. And then they start to make connections. That they need to put the the knowledge together. That's
0: it, and it seems so simple, right? But it's it's not. It's it's a it's lot not. of work. It's not. It, the way you're explaining it, it makes it. It's like aha, makes so much sense. But it's just that we've not been taught
1: to do learning this way. And many children are like my husband and we really only want those children in our schools, you know, that just learn with ease and pick up a book and, and, and eat it, whereas you've got me sitting down. And you're starving, really. You're starving for a way, how can I get this food? And, and they just say, well, you're just going to starve because you're not very smart. You're not like them. And that's the, you get that message very quickly, yeah. which is really sad. Mm-hmm. And then you have this big chip on your shoulder that you've got to deal with.
0: <laughs> yeah. But then you work through it with determination yeah. and you get your PhD and you show everybody like yeah. your son. Yeah. And Sudeep was the young man in my class. He's now a medical doctor. It was not difficult to find him through social media and see where he ended up and it was sky's the limit once he got to have some support he was always smart with his academics it was just school just wasn't jiving for him it was the the friends he just didn't have those those the social and emotional was was not there so we need both
1: and you know there's sayings going around we should care much more about less about grades and much more about are they sitting with the child who is alone in the, in the lunchtime. And your school obviously did a fantastic job of trying to include him and engage him. Whereas my poor Nicholas, I mean, he was ostracized. It's horrendous. I should have removed him from school. Mm-hmm. End of story, should have done.
0: Yeah, and I think like looking back to where I grew up, I grew up in Toronto, it wasn't the teachers. The teachers didn't know what to do, it was the kids that like, why is he by himself? That's not right. And we would sit all the way, like miles across away from the field and see him by himself. And we'd yell, hey, you know, would you come over here? And he would just sit and we're like, okay, let's try a different way. What else could we do? Well, let's just go sit with him quietly. And it was, it took a year before he came out and started to say things to us. So you just don't know, like, I don't know what it was that we were so lucky to have other kids that, that just recognised that he needed this.
1: And you're right. Even if someone had just sat with him, don't talk to me. Just sit with me. I mean, it moves me to tears. If someone had sat with him mm-hmm. and just held his hand, yeah. it would have made a world of difference. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can't talk yeah.
0: about it, really. right. right. So where are you now wow. with <laughs> with all your work? What What's now for, now you've had the successful story that you tell with Nicholas. You go and you do workshops in, in schools. What, what are you currently working on? You talked a little bit about trauma. I know that's an important topic in our schools. What would you be working on
1: now? What am I working on now? I, my passion is reading. Excuse me. I'm just still teary from the last one my passion is reading and teaching of reading Um, and last year a mother calls me up my 16 year old or my boy is turning 16 and he cannot read cannot read a sentence can you help me i'm working on his story so that i have a second book coming out and writing for me is still a huge struggle that's what i'm working on I'm working on, believe it or not, some academic papers. Oh. I cannot write an academic paper independently. That will end up in a magazine. I reached out to Professor Tim Rosinski because he read my book and, and can, we connected and he said, I love it. And I wrote to him and said, I can't write. Can you help me publish? We have a had mag- a, um, an article that has been submitted to the reading teacher, that they said, this is profound. It should be published. And so that was meant to go in in March, but we had a few hiccups about reading and it'll it'll come out eventually. So that'll be published. And now I'm promoting my story. I'm, promotion has been another learning curve for me. So between all of it, I'm just working, 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 hoping to get out the idea that we simply must teach children to read and not write them off on the basis of a test at six years old. My son was privileged and, it, and you, privilege should never be a component of, of learning to read. But once you're in that learning disabled basket, privilege is the only, often the only way out. Mm-hmm. And where can
0: people find more about you? Would it be your website? Is that the best
1: place? Yes I'm on my website is um, www.loisletchford.com. I'm on LinkedIn I'm on Twitter I connect with as many literacy people as possible so yep yeah. so people can
0: reach out to you and have have I missed anything that you'd like to kind of end up with to end the note on a a high note that you know thinking of, of what you've gone through, the struggle with, with Nicholas, the life story, but what's the positive end note here for
1: us all? You talked about, Imodino Yang, learning is emotional as well as academic. So make learning as fun as possible and just enjoy every minute. As I get older, I'll, I'll put in my philosophy in. What I realise is that really we, all we do in life is make memories. And I've lost my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and my parents are now 97 and 95. Let's make memories that we want to keep. And some of the awful things I've done in my life keep coming back. At me. So make memories that you want to go back to. So that's one. <laughs> I'm now the author of Teaching Students with Dyslexia. I've connected with a couple of other people in writing a program that will engage children who are struggling with reading and help them learn to read and write that's another component of my work that I'm doing. Um, what else did you say? Asked you? Just thinking about
0: ways to kind of think about how we can implement what you've done. So go to your website, remember website. to keep learning from those who are out there doing the research. Imardino Yang was interview 100 for me. And it, if I think back, she said, we feel, therefore we learn. That was my biggest takeaway from, from her interview. So the emotion to learning, definitely.
1: She, her work is amazing. And what the whole thing with Nicholas was that, you know, if we had stayed in Australia, they, the school would have said to me, your child is dumb, stop pushing, he can't do it. Mm-hmm. And when I changed that situation where we had a total change, You had this transformation in the child and he has a brain that is equal to my husband's Mm -hmm. and that blows me away that that level of privilege was required. And even to be in Oxford as opposed to if I'd stayed in our home in Brisbane, the learning would have been quite different. But Nicholas just ate, ate, (laughs) ate all of this stuff and he couldn't get enough of it. So the, the emotional component of learning was just beyond my imagination and expectation. And what I do when I pick up children who are struggling with reading, I go back to doing exactly what I did with Nicholas. How are they going to feel safe in my classroom? Mm-hmm. How are we going to have fun? How am I going to let them know? They have the knowledge in their brains. I just have to bring it out. and we as teachers have to be diagnostic it's not prescriptive if a child isn't getting our short vowel sounds repetition of those short vowel sounds is going to tell them they can't do it they've not picked it up but they've learnt i can't do it and they learn that lesson very quickly so what are we going to change so that this child can learn to read and that means going back to using them making it meaningful. And I've sent you two links. Mm-hmm. Uh, one link is from an interview with uh, a Dr. Jake Downs and he interviews Professor Pamela Snow from Australia and she is a speech-language pathologist. And she talks about all of the things that are absolutely necessary for children to learn to read before we get to Letters and sound. And I'm in her camp. Because I have to give all of my students all of those components of literacy, the semantics. The the word they use, uh, now I'm losing my words, is the multiple meaning of words. We only think about words have one meaning because we're we're efficient with language. We fail to see language as how the children who struggle see it. And children on the autism spectrum will see concretely. They won't see the abstract. We know if you give them a joke, they won't get it. So we have to teach those things to them. There's so much that we have to learn. We cannot assume that just because a child reads a word, they understand it. And if they don't understand it, we have to ask questions, why? What's stopping them? What else do we have to do to teach this child to read? So it really is a transformation in our thinking about how children learn mm-hmm. letters and sounds are just just the the top but when i taught nicholas nicholas was on this ride with me the letters and sounds came along for the ride mm-hmm. they weren't the central focus mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. else was you right. know and how much fun can we have with this
0: what's interesting is i'm picking up on um david souza wrote the how the brain learn series, how the brain learns to read, do math. I interviewed him and, and have like devoured his books. And he said, just talk to your kids, talk to them like they're they're adults. And that will bring you to where you need to be. Just have conversations, the more conversations and all the studies around the 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 language and how the children of poverty don't have the same um, language exposure. Um, So the more we can expose them and have conversations so that might have been instead of me just talking about well how did things go at school today we started talking about movies and it was different it was have a conversation with them about something else and bring in a new layer of learning and like you just said it made the letters and sounds secondary the maps and the story behind the maps and Captain Cook became the the focus of where and the
1: drive the why are we wanting to read and write because we want to learn about Captain Cook mm-hmm. and we you know we're sitting on his ship the interesting part about Captain Cook was that I remember learning about him in school we have a completed map of the world and a completed map of Australia and a dotted line up the east coast of Australia of what Cook did you know and it's there was no excitement, there was no wonder, mm-hmm. and we didn't even ask how we got back to England or what happened. I mean, he just got back, didn't he? You know, and we learned more about it. And, and that lack of emotion with learning, you know, and the scientific ideas behind it, and to walk into uncharted waters and to then hit a reef that he would have known nothing about. I mean, we, we just didn't even do that. We didn't go there. It just blows my mind. And that's what the journey I wanted to take Nicholas on. What was it like for Cook to hit this land and go, where do I go from here? How do we do this? How do we talk to these people when they if they meet them all? So it was just an amazing journey. You know, you talk about learning and what else we can do. One of the big things for me in learning and reading was to watch movies mm-hmm. i tried to read anna green gables i couldn't and then i watched the movie and i went ah oh! Oh, right makes sense when you see it you mm-hmm. might see it and it told it in a, an hour or two hours and then i could sit back and ride with Anne in the carriage and she comes out with these verbose statements <laughs> And enjoy it as opposed to where is this book going? Why do I have to? And the same with Pride and Prejudice. I I couldn't read that book until I watched the movie. And then you get, you know, halfway through the movie and you the movie only comes out once a week. I had to go and buy the book. I had to read it. And because you've got the background, you know what's going on, the remainder of the reading becomes a joy, And that's what I want my children to learn my students to learn, the teachers to know that teaching is a joy reading is a joy and if it's not how are we going to change it so it does become you know a joy you know nicholas nicholas said to me in 2018 when i was talking to him he said you know i learned in oxford that i could learn and i never want to stop learning learning was so exciting
0: that's all we want for our children. I'm waiting for the day that my kids say the same. They're counting down the days till summer and spending time with friends. And and then there's the part of me that's like, well, we're going to do some learning right over the summer. We're going to sit down and I'm thinking, well, how can I make this fun? So I've got to find some ways. I've, I've learned so much from you, Lois, from this. I appreciate your time, your ideas and this fascinating story of how you transformed your son to uh, a life of excitement. And I'm sure that he's doing the same with his children. Has he got children now?
1: No, no, no. They, They have, he has a wonderful wife. They are still in the UK. They have visa issues. They're moving back to Australia. And I want to be around any grandchildren that are born because it's too hard to do it on your own. Right. You need an extended family. Absolutely.
0: So, well, I want to thank you so much for your time and these ideas. And I'll be sure to keep following you and watching your work. And and maybe we could get some, some snapshots of Nicholas, what he's up to these days to add him in here, current um, photos of him to add him in.
1: I certainly will. I certainly will. And, you know, even throughout his history because – We started to see when he was in Texas his brain that could do things that others can't. Absolutely. But it's absolutely delightful to talk to you, Andrea, and I look forward to following more of your guests.
0: Thank you. There's some exciting ones coming up. Thanks so much, Lois. Thank you.